All right, good morning. First off, I want to say I never made that promise to Scott, so we're going to get into it. If you would, just turn to a neighbor, and I want you to finish this sentence. And the sentence is simply this. I need blank. So go ahead. Turn to the person next to you or around you. I need blank. Go ahead. I don't know what your answer is. Maybe some of you are like, I need tacos. I smell tacos outside. I need coffee. I need sleep. Or maybe it's something more serious. But I'll tell you this. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I know for sure all of us in this room, we all have needs. And they vary in size, in urgency, and depth. But the truth is we all have needs, don't we? Yes? So this is, uh, you know, we're catching on. I like that. Okay? Uh, but this is why our two verses in Hebrews 2 is so important for us. Because the author of Hebrews is going to fill us with life with these two verses. Because he's going to tell us that Jesus fills our most important needs of life. We have many needs. But Jesus fills our most important needs. So That's where we're headed, okay? You with me? Okay, maybe we're not getting it, but uh, we're going to jump into our point one. We see in verse 17 that actually first the author of Hebrews wants us to understand this truth. That Jesus is our great high priest, our merciful and faithful high priest. And in that, he fills our greatest need as people. Okay, so what is our greatest need? It's not for our debt to be taken away. It's not for a significant other. It's not for a job. It's not even healing for a, an illness or a disease, even though all those things are well and just good and needed in life. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to a holy God, creator of this universe, to be redeemed with a relationship that we cannot by ourselves reconcile. You know why that's our most greatest need? is because even though the needs that we have in this day and age for the here and now is important, this addresses our eternal destination. And Jesus fills that need. So point one, look at verse 17, it says this, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To accomplish this, Jesus, the author of Hebrews, tells us he becomes like his brothers in every respect, meaning he becomes man so that he can become our great high priest. Okay? Now, that idea of a great high priest is a vital concept biblically. But we are at a disadvantage because none of us, I don't want to say none of us, but probably most of us did not grow up in the Jewish system. So we don't fully understand what the high priest is or what the function was. But biblically, in the Old Testament system, the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, would walk into the Holy of Holies and present blood, present blood on the mercy seat. The reason why is because that was a function, a biblical command and a system that God had in place for the forgiveness of the people of God's sin. They would do this every year. Because 
every year, people of God, would sin. Does that make sense? So why is that important? Well, because the idea that the author of Hebrews is presenting is that now the earthly high priest is no longer needed because now Jesus becomes our merciful and faithful high priest, and we don't need every year a person to present blood. Jesus, once and for all, dies on the cross. So that now our sins, past, present, and future, all forgiven. Never, ever, the earthly priest does not need to present a sacrifice once again. And to that truth, we say hallelujah. Amen? That is what the author of Hebrews is getting so excited and presenting for us. And you know why Jesus would become man and do this and to become our great high priest? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say because we, you and I, are deserving of this. It doesn't say that in this passage. It doesn't say because you and I are lovely and God kind of looks at us and says, oh, that's so neat. You know, I, I want to go down. I want to spend some time with it. It doesn't say that. You know why he became our high priest? The two words. It's because he is merciful and because he is faithful. That's why. Mercy is God withholding judgment and condemnation that we deserve. If you look here, I love this passage. If you look at Psalm 103, verse 8 through 11, talks about our God. In this fashion, it says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. This is his great love and mercy for you and I. So that now we understand that our God is merciful, so we never have to walk into his presence, into this room, into the presence of God, and ever fear that because of my sin, he's going to cast me out. What a wonderful truth that he is the merciful God. He is our Father. The second word is that he is faithful. And he will never let us down. I love this verse as well. If you look at Deuteronomy 7, 9, this is our God and his faithfulness. And this is how the biblical authors record it. It says this, know therefore, so don't forget this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. He's faithful even in the greatest of our needs. So how could we not trust him even in the daily needs that we have? He's faithful to you and I. So in summation, he uses this very theologically rich word. He says he becomes our propitiation of our sins. Just so you understand that rich word, R.C. Sproul defines it this way. He says, the word propitiation carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction, specifically toward God. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person, meaning God. Jesus becomes our mediator in that way and being reconciled to him. He not only takes our wrath, but now he takes our hand and he connects it with the Father. This is how rich that word is. 
Jesus fills our greatest need. And so that we can now live with purpose. And even though maybe this life is hard, we have an eternity with the Father that he, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, for you and I. And if you ever grow numb to this truth, you better awaken your soul to remind yourself daily that we live for greater things. I caught myself this week in prepping the sermon. I don't know if you relate with me, but I was reading this. And I'm just going to tell you, now this is a pastor being very real. I read Hebrews 2, and I wasn't so excited about preaching this. Because I read it, and I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, he died for our sins, and he's our propitiation, yeah. I mean, I know that, that's great. So how can I get something that's going to be just rocking our world? So when I first kind of was prepping this, I wasn't super excited. You know why? Because for some, because maybe I'm just not as appreciative, but I had just forgotten just what this truth means for, for you and I. How this should radically transform the way we see life itself. And I don't know if you're like that, but I want you to realize, let's not move so quickly through this, that Jesus fulfilled our greatest need, and so you and I can live with joy, life, and purpose. If you've forgotten this, I want to kind of present something to you. Because this really encouraged me. I saw this on Facebook. This is in Japan, where there's so many people who are lost looking for the greatest need to be filled. And they struggle with depression, the highest suicide rate, because for them, they don't know the freeing power of the gospel. But you get a little sense from this video, through the Billy Graham kind of work that they're doing, of people realizing being filled, their greatest need being met. And I hope this encourages you, okay? So take a look. There's a high suicide rate here in Japan. Issues with loneliness or isolation, um, and which is also a huge indicator of a bigger and deeper need. Before I came to be a Christian, I mean, I was in cult. Um, I had a fear, anxiety. In Japan, some people think it is not a good thing to rely on something, believe in something, but I want to say uh, it's not true. I think we need to rely on something, believe in something, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, I have peace in my heart, in my mind, and I have hope to the future. So that is the change, big change to me. I want to help tell the true gospel. And also I want to be good friend. And I hope to connect them to churches. seat and I could look out. It was really exciting to see all seats were filled up. Maybe you have come wanting to know if there is a God. Maybe you have a question, does he know that I exist? Does he care about me? 
There is a God, the one true God, and he loves you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're not sure that your soul is secure in the hands of God, you can be sure right now. And what I'm asking you to do is just get up out of your seat, make your way to one of these aisles, and come stand right here. You come. We're going to wait. is the most important decision of your life. By coming tonight, you're saying to God, I want to be forgiven. This is between you and Almighty God. Let's pray. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. When he helped us to pray, I prayed with him. I came forward to accept Jesus Christ. I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. From this day forward, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I reconfirmed that I was still a sinful person, but I made a decision and have a new life as a Christian. You are forgiven because you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Remember this, God loves you. No matter what happens, God loves you. I want you to realize you have been saved from darkness of hell and sin. And don't make this an intellectual exercise. I want you to be reminded that Paul looks at death now and says, Where, O oh death, is your sting? And that's the victory that we have in Christ, that your greatest need has been filled. And if you have some reason, you sit here today because you've been a Christian so long that you have forgotten how wonderful that truth is, then you need to be reminded and encouraged that God loves you and you need to be awakened to the truth that our greatest need has been filled. Amen? So we live in victory. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us that. And I ask for God's forgiveness that for some reason I read through this and I wasn't reminded of how wonderful that truth is. And then the, the second part, I, I love this second part. In verse 18, it tells us, Jesus not only comes to address our greatest need to forgive us from sin, he still hates sin. And so it's not that he just forgives us and he makes a way, but he reminds us in verse 18 that he also addresses our daily need to help us in the midst, as Christians, in our daily battle with sin and temptation. Verse 18 says this, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If we're honest with ourselves, we all need help in the area of sin and temptation. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, okay? We all need help in the area of sin and temptation. And the Bible warns us of this, right? In Hebrews 12:1, it tells us, it's a subtle warning, but it tells us that as we run this race with endurance, that there is sin that clings so easily. In a, another translation, it says it entangles us, right? 
Also, 1 Peter 2, 11, another warning. It tells us that as people of God, as we sojourn, as we urge ourselves to move in the direction of God, that there will be the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is a battle daily. And let us not get comfortable with just sin around us because God has forgiven us. The author of Hebrews is telling us we should battle, we should fight. Not that those things now dictate our love with God, but God hates sin, so we ought to live for holiness as well. In Hebrews 4.15, it reminds us that Jesus suffered, and he's able to fully understand, because in every respect, he became man and was tempted. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, he's able to understand every depth of our temptation that we face. Because in every respect, he went through it. Uh, this week, I, I kind of came across a story. I, I was doing a lot of kind of Japan kind of things in my mind. And so I, I ran across this guy. His name's Tatsuya Shindo. You can shoot his picture up. I know it's kind of a little hard to see. But he's a former Yakuza member, and he received Christ in prison. And now he's a pastor. And his main ministry, if you take a look at the next picture, is to reach out to Yakuza members in Japan. You know why? Because you can't leave the Yakuza. You have no future. Okay? And he fully understands what that looks like. He even is missing a pinky because he crashed the car with his boss in it, and they cut his finger off. So he understands every respect of what that looks like to be in that life, to struggle, and to now leave it. And now he tries to imperfectly help those leave that. That's kind of an imperfect picture of what the author of Hebrews is saying. Because Jesus became man, he fully in every respect knows every temptation and sin that we go through. Not that he sinned, but he knows the temptation. And now... He can help us. The Greek word there, he's able to help, is best translated as like a parent who hears the cry of their son and daughter and they run. Now, not, not like those fake cries, but you know like the real cry, right? That you hear and you run to go help. And that God, Jesus, he's available in that way to help us in our sin. Now, why is this so important? Pastor John, we've been forgetting of his sin. Why, why is this so important? Well, the reason why this is so important is I want to give you a quote. This is from John Owen, and he says this. He says, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. And he's speaking to Christians. Because I don't know if you've noticed, even the redeemed of God, I don't know if you've ever seen this happen, but sin can kill marriages through lust, infidelity. It can divide churches because of pride, because of hate. It can destroy individuals because of addictions. And so what Jesus is trying to help us understand, though, even though he's forgiven us, he knows that sin, if not addressed well, if we don't turn to God for our help in this area, that it can lead us astray from what God wants to do. For example, the best case scenario is if you look in the life of King David and his sin with Bathsheba, it started slight with just lust. 
and then carrying that out to sin, and then actual full-blown adultery. Then it leads him to murder. And now, all of a sudden, he has lost his way. And if you look at Psalm 51, this is a psalm of confession that he gives to God. But I find that very profound because he tells you, actually, the danger of sin in the person, in the Christian life, right? If you look, I want to reveal some truths about sin if not addressed in our life. In verse 8, it tells us this. This is his confession. In Psalm 51, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You know why David says that? Because sin, if not addressed in the Christian, will steal your joy. You, your joy will be taken away if sin is not addressed. He goes on. He says, hide your face from my sins. You know what that is saying? You will face shame even though the Bible tells us clearly that there is no condemnation in Christ. But if sin is not addressed, for some odd reason, you'll feel shame when you come into the presence of God, when you ought not biblically. Does that make sense? Okay. Going on, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You will feel like this wrong spirit within you. When biblically, God has saved you. And you're pure. It goes on. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know what that's telling you? David feels like God has abandoned him. You will to themselves, God doesn't love me. He can't love me. I'm not saved. That's what David is struggling with here. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. You'll feel judgment and condemnation instead of love. We need to fight daily to kill sin before it kills us spiritually. I love what Raymond Brown says. He says this, talking about sin. He says, all too easily, for some reason as Christians, an ugly thing like sin becomes tolerated, even viewed as possibly useful, and then a permissible thing, and then finally the attractive thing. It does not happen in a moment. We accommodate at one stage of life things which earlier would have been totally unacceptable. Did you see what he's saying there? He's saying for some odd reason as Christians, if we're not careful and we don't battle daily, we will just let sin creep in and all of a sudden, you know, gambling is like, oh, I have some money. It's not a big deal. I just entertain myself. And then all of a sudden you catch yourself being addicted and then you catch yourself going into debt and then you give yourself to borrowing money, lying to your family, and then all of a sudden you do things and then all of a sudden you find yourself doubting whether God is real in your life. And he's saying, when you first got saved, when you were reminded of these truths, you hated certain sins. And if we're not careful, we will let it become a permissible and even an attractive thing in our life. But check this out. Jesus is saying, I am going to help you. This is not for us to walk away and say, you know what, i got to try really hard. No, he's saying, turn to me. I will run to help you in this area because... I don't know about all of us, but I've met Christians who have battled certain sins for years. Because we and ourselves are broken and we can't address the weaknesses within us. And so our great high priest who loves us so dearly is telling us, I am faithful, I will help you. So turn to me. Ask the church for prayer so that the Holy Spirit and spiritual things could be on your side. Because that's where the power lies. 
This is his promise to help us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us this. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. Hear, hear this, my brothers and sisters. God is faithful, even in this area. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Not only is your greatest need filled, but Jesus is reminding us. And I think maybe giving us a subtle warning for all of us, you and I, be careful about just the daily battle with sin. Would you wage war against sin well in your lives? Because if we are not careful, it will destroy us. I want to just share this brief story as I close. You know, when my brother was in prison, I was uh, visiting him monthly. Uh, at his prison, uh, I met another guy, a Korean man in his mid-30s. So he became friends with my brother, so we kind of were kind of in a room like this. And so he came, uh, introduced himself, and I said, oh, yeah, my brother's like, oh, he's a pastor. He's like, oh, okay, I'm a Christian too, and so we kind of started talking. I found out that he goes to a church in L.A., and I know that pastor. We're friends. And so I started to kind of hear his story. You know what his story was? He was on the worship team at church. You know what ended up happening? You know how I ended up in prison? You know that story I just shared about the person in gambling? That's his story. Started off as just kind of just, hey, it's, it's no big deal. I had some money. Kind of fun. And then got into big debt. Borrowed money from a loan shark. Couldn't pay the money. You know what ended up happening? The loan shark said, you better pay me or I'm going to kill your wife and your daughter. You know what he did? He said, I can't have that. He went and killed her. Now he's spending life and hearing his story. I, I want you to realize, this is a person who used to be on the worship team. If we are not careful, temptation sometimes wages war against our soul. And praise God that he has saved us and eternally we are secure. But in this life, let's continue to lean on Christ. And not just think to ourselves, pass in, it's no big deal. We could just, I'll just be close to the flame, it's fine. No, Jesus hates sin. And let's honor our great high priest by fighting well. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are truly our high priest. And first off, we just want to thank you that we live in victory, God. That you have saved us, and now eternity is secure for us. But I also thank you that you are promising us that you are our available help in our fight against just daily temptation and sin. And you know how dearly we need that. All of us in this room. It's a daily battle. So help us to lean on you, to take that battle seriously, to fight well. Not because it dictates our love and your love for us, but because God, we know how, how it can kill our spiritual well-being, our biblical thoughts of you. And so if some of us in this room are struggling with that, God, fill us with your truth this morning. Love you, and in your name we pray. Amen.